Chapter Twenty Three of Miss Ingalls by Gertrude Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Ferrard. Chapter Twenty Three. It seemed strange to be quietly and openly folding her things and laying them in her trunk. She felt like one who, by accident, had spoken the magic word at which the enchantment snaps and the barriers fall. She kept herself reminded, however, that she was still in the house of the enchanter. Clarence did not come home to dinner, but she found those of the family who assembled around the table informed of her approaching departure, and in a general way, with unobtrusive exceptions, unexpectedly pleasant about it. The understanding was, as she quickly gathered, that she was going to her family for a little visit before her marriage. Teresa professed to regard it as a very natural desire on her part, and was kind and sympathetic. Seeing it as an act of generosity to let the one whom she was disappointing save his pride as he chose, Grace lent herself to the deception like the little woman of the world she at her moments aspired to become. A good deal was said about missing her. It was a saving to the sensibilities that Teresa, who must have known the truth, should pretend thus heartily, and free her from the dread of reproaches or intercession. But Teresa's eyes, those frank, good-humoured eyes! Grace could not adjust her ideas to the mendacious eyes of Teresa. Rebecca, from her place farther down and across the table, gave her a long, steady look of indefinable import but turned away as soon as Grace's glance urged hers to be more explicit. And when Grace, after dinner, approached her, she avoided Grace, consistently with her habit. After the lights were out, and Grace lay in bed, wakeful for a long time beside the slumbering Sita, and thinking of a great many things that she had put away from her to think over more pertinently in the undisturbed secret, and council-bringing hours of the night. She tried to interpret Rebecca's look as conveying sober congratulations at her prospect of escape. In that connection, she reviewed all that had passed the night before between herself and Rebecca. She recalled their words with reasonable exactitude. From much thinking, a little cold place came to be at the mysterious spot, in heart or brain or spine, which we will call the central seat of her. The hour at which Aunt Dolores was wont to start for Mass found Grace listening for the rustle that revealed her passage down the stairs. She waylaid her to say good-bye a little personally and privately. A beam of genuine tenderness came from Aunt Dolores's face as Grace pressed her soft, plump hands. The two looked at each other for a moment. Then Grace threw her arms around Dolores, and Dolores, noiselessly in tears, returned the embrace. They did not speak, as if they had feared to be overheard, or as if both had known that they understood by touch better than by words, until Grace said, as so often before, Pray for me, she added, underlying the word, and ceasing, subtly to smile, Really? She re-entered her room with a lighter heart, as if she had begged pardon and been forgiven. 
because she had not been able to exclude contempt from her young judgment of aunt dolores and with growing just a few hours older she had seen her contempt in a new light dolores well-born southern constitutionally indolent had known bitter poverty in the period of her first widowhood she had been brought low indeed when uncle miles intervened so that now with the growing languor of age upon her to be housed fed kept warm sheltered had a value to her not to be estimated by those who were different the money belonging to her by right was involved in overcome enterprises she could be ruined by a turn of the wrist if she attempted to extricate it not brave in the least she took the burden of her cross to the church each day and got reconcilement there even love for her enemies some of them to whom she had grown accustomed for she was an affectionate soul she dressed dolls for zip who was impudent to her she darned laces for teresa who did not reprove zip grace made apology to her in her heart while determining never to become like her later on this same day grace slipped upstairs to inform aunt Miranda personally of her departure and to take leave fondly without witnesses of her as well as dear decent nora who if her room had been searched for the missing money had given no sign of knowing it grace had delicately tried for the favor of the invalid pleasing her with little attentions offerings of her favorite pansies and old-fashioned peppermints reading aloud to her from the bible which voluntary task the old lady utilized in part to the child's own profit grace in her opinion did not show sufficient diligence in the reading of her bible on the sunday before after the memorable church-going with sita grace had gone to sit a while with aunt Miranda, largely to escape the others but also for the pleasure of being able to answer aunt Miranda's slightly severe question have you been to church for once in the affirmative she had found uncle savanus occupying the rocking chair on the other side of the cold stove and had been happy over this because if she was before long not to see him ever again she would have liked to leave with this overcome who was so little of an overcome the knowledge of her affectionate respect he was more responsive to her conversational lures that afternoon than he had ever been with the rest of the family present he remembered her interest in the story of the young jesse who delivered his brethren from captivity he went far back in his life to tell something of his part in the story the hardships of his boyish lot until brother jesse came to the rescue the regard of both the old people for the memory of their big brother was touching grace noticed the soft texture of sylvanus large-veined old hands the delicacy of his features beside the ruggedness of his sisters and believed that nature had had what are called absences when she mixed the elements that formed those two the old man's smile in response to her smile at taking leave of him had been plainly the conveyance of an old man's blessing it warmed her troubled heart to feel that not quite every relation of hers with the people of that house had been a failure as she mounted the second flight of stairs between her floor and aunt Miranda's, a voice reached her more and more distinctly 
issuing from the high room an unusual event because aunt miranda's door was provided with weather strips to keep out the drought or keep in the noises the voice raised above ordinary pitch quavered like organ tones remarkably the words borne on that solemn and powerful breath able to pierce the door sounded to grace's ear like woe unto thee charzen woe unto thee bethsaida but they could not very well be that she thought she hesitated then jumping over the process of making up her mind knocked nora opened the door a very little way but seeing who was there threw it wide open for grace to enter dolores was in the room too her face and nora's both wore that blankness which serves to cover perturbation aunt Miranda was perceptibly in a state of excitement her cheekbones burned her cavernous eyes were alight her black cap had been shaken out of the ideal symmetrical squareness on her head with the same fine and unaccustomed vigor exhibited by her voice her hands grasped the ends of her armrests and appeared like an eagle's claws superb in some piece of decorative carving it was borne in upon grace by the sight of her that the old lady must have been having one of those times to which she had heard reference made woe unto them chorazin woe unto thee bethsaida might after all have been her cry a minute ago uncertain what else to do grace proffered her hand aunt Miranda looked at her for some time before moving she might have been trying to see her through a fog she quieted down marvelously during that wait and when she said it's gracie how do you do and gave her hand in reply it was done naturally she appeared her ordinary self again dolores rose with the alacrity of a guilty gladness to yield to another her place of patient and respectful audience after an expressive sign covertly to grace she tiptoed toward the door carrying the narrowed shoulders and drawn-in neck of one who scuttles to shelter out of a storm her impulse it became evident directly was shared by the sturdy nora who acted upon it however in a manner more accordant with her stoutness she straightened a few things on the little stand she shook into shape the cushion on which dolores had sat then still affecting to be busy she set watch for grace's eye which having caught she spoke to it with her own little black lashed blue eye to the purpose of making herself excused for taking advantage of the young lady's fortunate coming to gain a respite from the mistress's tongue wasn't she young and strong and fresh to the task wouldn't she be willing to sit with the old woman a bit and give the others a rest of course she would being a humane and christian girl and nora softly vanished through the door to her own room closing it after her all but a crack which slender reservation represented her unforgotten responsibility as a nurse dolores is a coward announced miss overcome sonorously looking at one door nora doesn't wrestle with sin as she ought to she declared looking at the other door and after a challenging look all around the room lapsed into a brown study there was a chair with a hard straight 
high back of puritanical look for which grace had a liking because of its low seat this she drew close to aunt Miranda's armchair placed herself under the old woman's eyes and laid a hand on her knee with a not very clearly formed theory that by mere sympathetic nearness she might woo her from her mood aunt Miranda looked at her broodingly and decided to take her into her confidence this house she said is going straight to hell grace's beseeching gesture and murmur of protest did not check but fired her to livelier fulmination is there one person in this house who lives as if he had a soul to save is there one person who you think had ever heard of the kingdom she inquired and receiving no reply proceeded with fearful fluency i'm not speaking of brother sylvanus i'm not speaking of dolores i'm not speaking of nora though if they aren't careful they'll land in hell too i'm speaking of jesse's tribe they've builded them temples and groves on high places to false gods and deserve the lord's curse behold they've let the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches like thorns and weeds choke the good seed that is spoken of in the parable i don't see what they're coming to she dropped from the biblical into the vernacular i don't see what they're coming to to eat and drink and dress up turn night into day and day into night with theatre and dancing and feasting it's all they seem to live for and i'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop preaching preaching flee from the wrath to come flee from the wrath to come and it doesn't do a particle of good grace got possession of one of her hands and by a yearning pressure tried to quiet her but the gentle contact had no effect beyond making the old lady more exactly aware of the personality of her listener i know gracie she said i know it looks to some folks maybe it does to you as if i must be crazy to have these fits when i can't keep from coming out with what i keep inside of me the rest of the time but it piles up it piles up till it reaches my throat and chokes me why isn't it my duty as much as the prophets of old to warn these people in the name of the lord only there's no one to listen they run the moment i begin and what i tell them is true as gospel they're going the broad way to perdition every one of them they don't care for anything in the world that i can see but just the things of this world and it's the deceitfulness of riches that has done it gracie she had an effect again of taking grace into her confidence the trouble begins with working so hard for money that your whole soul goes into it then after getting the money you feel big and important for having got it it looks large to you and you look large to yourself because of it you put it before everything else till when it comes to the choice between money and doing right between money and the good of your soul you choose money every time i'd like to smash their golden calf for them she exclaimed truculently tightening her fist into hammer shape grace to divert her used the magic of a name your brother jesse she began your brother jesse the crayon portrait in the drawing-room shows that he was a very fine man a man i should say of very fine character i i like to think of him i 
should like to hear more about him. But the old lady disappointingly shook her head and looked sternly despondent. No, she said with a firm justice. He was a fine man at the beginning. Jesse was as good a boy as ever lived, but the root of all the evil in this house was in him. He was the first to get caught by the lust for money-making. He grew proud of what he'd accomplished all by himself, forgetting it was part the Lord helped him, and part the devil set up riches for his temptation, and then he went and married Inez Maria. After that there was no hope. She died when Clarence was a baby, said Grace, tentatively, invincibly curious to hear more of that Inez Maria, whose dark eyes in the crayon portrait hanging beside the portrait of Jessie reminded her of Teresa's. Yes, too late to do any good, Aunt Miranda followed on vengefully. She ought to have died before she brought her streak of black-haired bandit blood into the honest and upright overcome blood. Where she got it from, I don't know. A mean character. While she lived, we didn't get an awful lot of good of being Jesse's brothers and sister. But after she died, he made up for it. He thought a heap of his natural kin. He had us come and live with him. He was good to us. Brother Jesse thought a heap of his only sister, and was proud to show it. And it's because of him a good deal that I fidget so up here, when I feel them all going wrong downstairs, all his children and children's children, going as wrong as wrong can be. They're a different sort of young people from what we were in our youth. They have no respect for the old, no reverence for anything. They've no mind for good works, no care about doing right. With their indecent low-cut dresses and red-hair ribbons and ungodly bedizenings. Material things, I heard a minister call them once, material things. That's all they think about. To lie comfortable, to dress vain, to eat rich, make a show, have a good time, serve the flesh and their immortal souls. Go ahead as if they hadn't got any. Aunt Marinda, Grace stroked the aged hand. Things change with time passing, and the young people of today, I know, are not the same as you remember. But perhaps some of them care about the same things essentially, only they have a different way of showing it. Grace, don't try to turn me away from anger. Don't try to excuse them. Don't think you know better than I. Aunt Miranda stiffened to grimness. I sit here, and it comes up to me like the reek of something rotting, all the wickedness in this house. Down below me there are liars and blasphemers and extortioners and oppressors of the poor, she enumerated with them, and robbers and adulterers and murderers, everything except pickpockets and desecrators of graves, and I'm not sure even of that. Jesse Black, or his brother Red, either, would desecrate a grave in a minute, or pick a pocket, if they happened to want to, and it was so they could escape the law. You needn't wonder to hear me talk so strong, and call them names like murderers and generation of vipers. I know what I'm talking about. Those two, and Lonzo, have blood on their heads, as sure as Cain their brother Miles, would be alive today if it wasn't for them. I mean it. 
don't let anybody deceive you they wanted to make him sign a document that he wasn't willing to sign brother jesse so as to keep the business together left all so no one could act for himself but they had to agree so they had to get miles signature before they could go ahead and he held out they knew he had heart trouble they knew they'd no business to worry or frighten him if there was one thing miles was frightened of it was of being frightened and that's what they played upon making believe to be just fooling you could hear them laugh to the top of the house i had my legs then i went halfway down the stairs to listen and to try to make out what it was all about they didn't frighten him into signing but they did fuss him into a heart spell one moment you could hear the coarse racket down in that room they called the den the next moment it was still as death i ran down the rest of the stairs and so did dolores who'd been listening too miles was lying on the carpet and his three brothers were standing round not laughing much at that exact moment they'd done for miles the doctor couldn't bring him out of it you'd have thought that to see the result of their wickedness right under their eyes might have given them a change of heart but i never heard any one of them take any blame i never saw any fruits meet for repentance they called it nothing but an accident and didn't let it bother their consciences i don't know but it was troubling so much about that about the hardening of heart of jesse's sons brought on my affliction i don't know but it was that grace had buried her face in her hands aunt marinda's eyes were fixed upon her unseeing but after some minutes the picture of her penetrated stirring wonder and raising doubts in aunt marinda's mind the wind of inspiration the accumulated passion that made the silent old countrywoman periodically violent and voluble was dying down looking at grace she felt uncertain as to what she could have been saying that should make this child crouch and shiver like one in pain she essayed the difficult business of recalling her words and during the mental labor of disentangling the relations of this thing to that thing continued to look at grace with eyes of compunction for having made her feel bad the flower-swift young girl with her pretty ways along with the sorrow for having made her feel bad there was in the increasingly wistful withered face a general sorrow for her because she was young and inexperienced and would have to encounter so many troubles make so many blunders feel bad so many times before she was an old woman near her release they had a great deal in common this veteran in life and that novice in having one thing at the heart of each nature that mysterious needle wavering but constant which points away toward the same star grace felt a hand laid on her hair you feel bad because you're engaged to be married to red aunt marinda said in her simple customary way perhaps i oughtn't to have talked as i did i had forgotten when i did it but now it's done i'm not sorry i told you it's best to know a man before you take him for better for worse i felt sorry each time i've seen you to think of you marrying red grace had looked up and exhibited dry eyes after all she clasped aunt marinda's hand again lovingly have you heard 
Aunt Marinda, that I am going away? Aunt Marinda mused, and while doing it, felt of her head, straightened her cap, and looked in amenable Don Quixote again, with lance at rest after a royal bout. Yes, I remember now. Dolores told me you were going home to visit your sister, and coming back in time to be married. I am not coming back, Aunt Marinda. I am not going to marry Red. I don't want to talk about my reasons for this. I had my reasons before I heard what you have to say of him. I came up this afternoon to bid you good-bye, because it might be the only chance I should have. I want you to know, Aunt Marinda, that I have appreciated you, and that I shall remember a great many things you have said to me, which will help me ever so much. I will read my Bible oftener, because you want me to. That's a good girl, Gracie. If you remember it's God's word, you ought to want to read it. You'll see that by and by it'll grow to be your greatest comfort. And you're not going to marry Red, did you say? And you're going away from us for good and all? Well, well, this is news. I hope you aren't having any big heartaches about it, Gracie, are you? Though I'm sorry for you if you are. I can't help feeling glad, too. You deserve a better man. There's nothing I want to say about it, Aunt Miranda. I just want to talk with you for a little while about other things. As if in search of a fresh, unrelated subject, Grace let her eyes roam around the room, or she might have been taking that circular look with a view to impressing on her mind for remembrance the things she was perhaps seeing for the last time. The stuffed dog on top of the wardrobe, the copper warming pan in the corner, the box for firewood pasted over with bright pictures when she spoke however it was not clear that she had been doing anything but summon up the special kind of courage needed to ask an unusual question you have lived so long and seen so much thought so much too she fumbled for a beginning you are very wise i feel that you are i feel as if there were many things you could tell me that would help me if I only had the sense to ask them, there is one thing particularly that you could tell me, perhaps. There is a passage in the Bible, you who have read the Bible so constantly and meditated upon it. There is a passage that I wish you would tell me what you think of. It is this. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Haven't you, Aunt Miranda, ever seen the seed of the righteous, the children of just people, brought to where they were forced actually to beg their bread? It seems so unlikely, somehow, that because your father was a good man, you, as a reward for his deeds, should be saved from the dreadfulness of having to beg. If a person could believe the Bible absolutely, and feel that confidence when he had to set out alone, for instance, without money, without knowing in the least what he was going to do next. Oh, how differently he would feel, how wonderful it would be. What do you think about it, Aunt Miranda? I have been young, and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? I'd give anything to know. The old woman appeared for a space to be thinking. Perplexity grew in her face, as if from a difficulty in remembering or concentrating her mind. 
an unusual effort of brain was reflected on her forehead she said at last honestly i don't think i ever noticed gracie whether the paupers i've known about had good fathers the folks who were on the town were mostly a pretty shiftless sort which shows they hadn't been brought up right and that wasn't to their parents credit but i don't know gracie i don't know from personal experience this i do know her voice reacquired some of its earlier vigor that if you serve god you can trust him we've got to trust him and take what he sends in the right spirit as being what is good for us i know aunt Miranda. i know that's the right way of looking at it for religious people but it's dreadful all the same it's dreadful to be altogether without money she covered her face again as if to shut out a fearful prospect or to shut in what further there was to say on the subject and keep a hold on herself until this wave too of panic and woe should have passed aunt Miranda felt herself as not having been adequate as not having given the proper comfort she groped for some way of meeting the necessity of the hour more handsomely affection went out from her toward that young brown head bowed upon slender young hands which she had an uncomfortable suspicion smothered tears in search of ideas she revolved and then repeated aloud the child's last words it's dreadful to be without money yes so it is who are you thinking of so situated and feeling bad about it it isn't you gracie that needs money grace moved her head in a manner that could not be interpreted as meaning yes or meaning no the first tremble of a glimmering current of understanding was yet established between her and aunt Miranda. is that what you have on your mind that you need money how does it come i thought you had plenty oh aunt Miranda, i hadn't any thought of asking you when i came up here but if you could oh if you just could without telling anybody let me have enough to pay my expenses down to Wilaka, where my sister lives i did have some money plenty but it has been stolen no i don't mean that but if you could let me have forty or fifty dollars in a few days i would return it and it would make such a difference to me i could almost believe that miracles were worked for the sake of the righteous to keep their children from having to beg their bread my father was so good i'd do it in a minute gracie i'd do it in a minute though i don't seem to understand how it comes that you no matter for the present but i haven't got any money to use i never have though i've got quite a good deal in the bank and in the business they take care of my money for me they draw out my board money and they pay nora's wages i haven't got a cent of money by me never mind then dear aunt Miranda. thank you just as much forget that i asked you it won't make any difference really i suppose i shall have to launch my little bark on an unknown sea in the dark in any case look here gracie i haven't any money but i've got something else just as good i guess for you can raise money on it now listen and don't make any noise she lowered her voice to a whisper you go and look under the bed lift the valance so i can see too and direct you and you'll see plenty of boxes and things the one i want you to pick out 
is a good-sized green cardboard box. You pull that out and undo it, and you'll see in it a brown cedarwood box that was a cigar box. Bring it to me. So utterly had Grace a moment passed, given up the expectation of anything fortunate happening to her in this house, that at the sudden stepping into an old-fashioned story-book with its fairy godmother and fulfillment of forlorn hopes the very quickening of her heart warned her to wait before she rejoiced and made sure the treasure was not a fusty nut her hands trembled as she raised the balance exposing just such a still-life composition as the old countrywoman's words had evoked the apple-green box was easy to find with fingers clumsy from their very eagerness. Grace, at last, had the dusty string unknotted and lifted the cover. It was packed full with rolls of dress pieces, balls of worsted, bundles of newspaper clippings and tissue paper patterns, a collection of corks, indescribable miscellanies, but the cedar box was plainly in sight. This she brought to the waiting old lady, who pulled off the flimsy yellow ribbon holding it shut, and turned back the hinged lid, faintly fragrant still of cedar and Havana tobacco. This box also was crammed with things. The eye was first caught by a glass knob with a great flower embedded in it, like a fly in amber, fit to charm the eyes of a child. Caught, next in order, for its strangeness, by a shapeless lump of blackened metal, which Aunt Miranda, forgetting the more important thing, lifted and fingered with curiosity. We've never been sure what it was, but Jessie thought it was the old sugar bowl melted down in the fire when our house burned to the ground. He picked it up out of the ruins. She was lapsing into a dream of past things, but recalled herself. Now, this is what I want you to see. It was a rounded wooden pillbox of an old kind, with a faded inscription of a time-yellowed label. The cover squeaked as Aunt Miranda screwed it off. A nest of pink cotton wool was revealed. With two brown fingers, she pinched up a wad of this, and her face broke into a smile at the incongruous sparkle of white fire that ensued. Jessie gave it to me, she said, taking out the flashing brooch. The first birthday I had after I came to live with him, I didn't want him to. I said it wasn't appropriate for me. But he said it was. Besides, he said, it wasn't just a piece of jewelry. It was a piece of property. The value of diamonds doesn't vary, he said, and these are good ones. They're the real Brazilian. You can turn them into money any time you want to, he said. I wore it a few times to please him. Teresa seemed to think I ought to give it to her after my misfortune. Then she wanted me to give it to Pinky on her twenty-first birthday. Then she wanted me just to let the family dress up in it once in a while, but I don't see it. When I'm gone, will be time enough. So I keep it where the sight of it won't be a temptation to anybody. Now, Gracie, you take this and raise money on it. I don't know just how much it's worth. Jesse didn't know either. It was all he could collect for a bad debt. Mind you, I don't give you this breastpin. I want you to give it in security for a loan, and then you send the receipt to me, and I'll make them redeem it. They'll be mad, I guess, but I'm not afraid of them, single or in a regiment. 
The white fires were again extinguished under a pinch of pink cotton. Aunt Miranda screwed down the lid with a squeak and handed the box to Grace. You put that in your pocket, she said briskly. Oh, Aunt Miranda! Grace was pressing the bewildered benefactress in her arms, but regardfully, so as not to break her, crushing a smooth, teary cheek against the country cheek that would carry its weather brown to the grave. You will never know what you have done for me. God bless you. God bless you for your dear, dear kindness. I will make sure you get back your brooch, never fear, without any of them knowing about it either. I will find a way. All there is now is to be very, very careful, dear, and to remember, and not to say a single word about this to anybody. End of chapter 23